Everybody that you meet, you can learn something from them. That it's not necessarily what you achieve in life that matters most, but it's who you become in the process of those achievements that really matters. We all need people who believe in us. They expand the boundaries we place on our own lives. What makes me most proud is how I played the game. Being real, authentic, and spontaneous, and loving the game, to me, is what it was all about. When you retire, you may get a chance to go to football heaven. This is football heaven. Hello and welcome to The Mission. I'm your host, Jameer Howerton, and today we have a special show for you. And the reason why I say it's special, because this is the first time that we get a chance to sit down with this gold jacket right here on The Mission Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, break out your pens and pads because you're going to get a national perspective today from no other than former head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Indianapolis Colts. I'm talking about Pro Football Hall of Famer, Tony Dungy. Coach Dungy, how you doing, sir? Hey, I'm great. Hey, Jameer, it's good to be with you and uh, just I'm loving this podcast. Thank you so much, Coach. I know we're having issues with in and out of, of, of buffering with 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 the with our internet services, but that's fine. We're gonna power through it because more than anything, I just appreciate you taking time out of your schedule today to give to us. First and foremost, Coach, before we start this conversation, because I have so many things that I want to get your national perspective on, how are you and your family doing during this time? Well, we're doing okay. We've got eight kids still in the house. And the problem for us is they're used to being with their neighbors, being with everyone else. So trying to keep them occupied and interested when they can't see everyone has, has been difficult. And uh, with this limit now in Florida, 10 people gathering, if we take our family, we can't meet another person. That'll be 11. So that has been a little bit of a trying time. But I think we're all getting used to that and, and just trying to pitch in and do our jobs to keep uh, America safe. That's what we've been emphasizing to the kids. Hey, we've got to sacrifice a little bit, but it's going to help keep our country safe. Coach, with that being said, before we start our conversation, if you were the head coach of America and you're getting us ready for this game plan and you're getting ready for us to take this coronavirus on, you're preparing your teams. What would you tell us? What would be your message to us? Hey, it's just like a, a football team getting ready for a, a big opponent. You're going to have to sacrifice. Everybody's got to play a role. Everybody's got to do their job as well as they can do it. And uh, the head coach is going to make some difficult decisions. And not everybody's going to agree with everything. But we've got to do it. Uh, we've got to be team players. And we've got to make the sacrifices. And if we do, we're going to win this game. And that, that, that's what it's all about. Well, Coach, I'm ready to win this game, and I'm ready to take <laughs> it on. As you can see, we're, we're, we're recording from the Autumnwood Studios in Brunswick, Ohio. This is my home office. I have my pop-up banners. And this has been a great way for me to connect with our Gold Jackets. But jumping into the conversation, Coach, with the NFL draft, not having the pageantry and fans not being able to be involved, um, it's going back to the old school where you get that phone call. Talk about that. Um, how, what is your perspective on that? What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, it kind of takes me back to old school, Jameer. Uh, when I was drafted, or my year, I didn't get drafted, but 1977, there was no pageantry. Um, we didn't even know when the draft was happening, when the draft was over. At the end of the day, I had to call uh, a couple of newspapers and say, hey, did I get drafted <laughs> or not? So, you know, it was, it was that way. And it can be done without the fanfare. It, it's uh, sad in a way because we're so used to it. But the, the actual gist of things is going to get done. The teams will speak to their players. Uh, we'll find out via Internet and other uh, sources who got drafted where. Uh, and the, the effect is to put the right people in the right places. And that's still going to be done. May not have all the bells and whistles we've had in the past, but I think it's still going to be very, very effective. Coach, you know, if you take me inside of your draft room, your war room, if you would, if you were the head coach at this particular time in dealing with this crisis, how do you work? How do you coach your own staff? You know, you have to say, hey, we're going to be under some handicaps. We're not going to get as much information as we had in the past. We're not maybe going to get everything we need. But you know what? We can still work hard. We can still work together. We still know what we want. And we've done a lot of information on these guys over the last three or four years of their career. So we, we know what we need to know. And now we've just got to put it together. And um, we, we've got to sacrifice a little bit. And I, I think the good teams will do that. They'll look at it as a challenge. And, uh, you know, just like playing in a game in, in climate weather you still have to go out and get the job done. Coach, what has been your philosophy when, when you were the head coach? What has been your philosophy when you look at the draft post a free agency? I always enjoyed the draft because to me, you're getting young guys, guys that you can build into your model and they, they can come into your organization and play for a long time. And that that's what we focused on. We wanted to get people that were committed that were going to be great teammates that uh, could come into either Tampa or Indianapolis and, and become part of the community, become part of a, a team atmosphere. So that's what we always focused on. Yeah, I wanted to know about the athleticism, the height, weight and speed and strength. But more than that, what kind of people were they and what kind of teammates would they be and how committed would they be? Those are the guys we could win with. And uh, that's, that's what I was always looking for. It's amazing how you're breaking this down because, like you said, coaches, teams, scouts, you guys know who you're looking for. You have plenty of, of the game footage and those in those bowl games because now you look at, you know, at least these collegiate players had the combine this year, but they didn't have their pro dates, unfortunately. And, you know, some guys, they like to run at home, you know, instead of running in Indianapolis. And like, no, I want to have my pro date. I want my quarterback to throw to me. And, unfortunately, yeah. they didn't have that luxury this year. But, like you said, to your point, you know who you want. You guys are ready. You guys have been working hard and doing your due diligence throughout the year. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll go back to my first year as a, an assistant coach with Chuck Knoll in the Minnesota, or excuse me, the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1981. And Coach Knoll sent me out. He gave me a list of guys to look at. He sent me on the road and he said, I'm going to tell you one thing. Don't take a stopwatch. Don't take a tape measure. Don't listen to anybody else out there. You know what kind of players the Steelers want. Look at them with your eyes and come back and tell me 
if they can play or not, and then tell me what kind of people they are. He said, that's all we want to figure out. Height, weight, and speed didn't make a difference to him. Were they good players? If they played well in college, they're probably going to play well in the pros. If they were pain in the neck in college, they're probably going to be a pain in the neck in the pros too. So we don't want those kind of guys. And for my whole career, that's how I scouted. I wanted to see guys who performed. So guys like Robert Mathis, who were at a small school and 225-pound defensive end, and everybody thought was too small or didn't play against great competition or work done at 5'7 and 175 pounds, well, maybe he's too small. I, I learned from Coach Noel that doesn't matter. If, if I watch Warwick Dunn and he's playing against the University of Miami and there's 10 future pros on the Hurricanes and 10 future pros on the Seminoles and he's the best player on the field, he's probably going to be pretty good in the NFL too. And that's the way I scout it. Wow, wow. And big shout out to uh, Robert Mathis. Uh, he actually is in the Black College Football Hall of Fame this year. Yeah. Um, moving right along to free agency, Coach, were you surprised being a former Tampa Bay Buccaneer head coach? You are so in tune with the community. You know that city. You coached in that city. And you actually turned that whole program around. Having a quarterback like Tom Brady go there in free agency, were you surprised? Were you amazed? What were your thoughts? I was very surprised because I, I thought that Tom would leave New England, but I thought he'd go to a major market, big city. Um, I thought he probably would stay in the AFC. So I, I was very surprised. Uh, I know right. when Peyton Manning left uh, Indianapolis, one of the things that he wanted to do was go to an AFC team because he had so many scouting reports on all of those teams. He had played against them. He didn't want to start over. And Tom is just saying, hey, you know what? This is a good opportunity. They've got good young offensive players. I tell you what, the city is on fire. And for the first time in a long time, they feel like, hey, our team can win a Super Bowl. And he's going to bring a ton of excitement. Coach, how do you see him fitting into this offense, just on the onset as you look at that Bruce Aarons, you know, offense? How do you see him fitting in? I think they're going to change it a little bit. It's always been big plays, long passes. Um, you know, Tom is more of a precision guy. He's going to throw the ball quicker. But he's going to make everybody better. Uh, he demands excellence from all of his guys. And he's already been on the phone with them talking about getting together, what we're going to do, working together. So he'll lift their, their play for sure. And, and they've got some weaponry. Uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, um, <laughs> O.J. Howard, you know, they, they've got weapons. And he's going to get the ball to them, but he is going to expect perfection. And I, I think that's going to be a thing that, that's going to surprise a lot of these guys when they figure out they're going to have to work a lot harder than they have in the past. Now, you two had a, a – I would say greatest fall-time quarterback in Peyton Manning as well. People can look at the rings and the championships, but like you just mentioned, it's the character, it's the heart, it's the leadership that brings out that quality of player. And with that being said, I mean, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, they run parallel. They run neck and neck when it comes to that. Um, what, do, what, what, is it, what makes Tom Brady so special and Peyton Manning, those guys so special to your program? I think it's the drive and the will to win. Um, we had Adam Benatari and Dan Klecko, um, guys who came to us from New England, and they talked about Tom and his 
the things that he did to prepare and the way he practiced and the way he worked. And Peyton was the same way. I remember my last year in Indianapolis, Peyton had already won three MVP trophies. We'd already won a Super Bowl. We drafted Anthony Gonzalez from Ohio State. And because of Ohio State's um, school schedule, Anthony couldn't come to the spring workouts. So Peyton, by himself, on his own, without any coaches asking, drove to Ohio State two days a week. Wow. Three hours from Indianapolis to Columbus, went over the playbook with Anthony, threw for an hour with him, and then drove back. So he took eight hours a day, two days a week, to just get Anthony Gonzalez, a rookie receiver, get him ready to go. That's the kind of drive that Tom Brady has, the kind of drive Peyton Manning has. They make everybody else around them better, and that's, that's what it takes to win. Wow, Coach. You know, you look at Super Bowl 44 for you. If you could take us back to that, to that, that, that year and what made that year so special. You know, it, it was funny. Uh, the year before, we started out 13-0, and and that was our best team in 2005. We thought that was going to be a Super Bowl team. The Steelers upset us, and, and we fell short of our goal. Well, the next year, we come back, and we're winning, but it, it, it's every week's a struggle. We're winning on the last play of the game. Adam's kicking a field goal here. We're getting a stop at the one-yard line to win the game. So we're 9-0, and but it felt like every single game was just, gosh, nail-biter. Then we went on a, a bad streak. We lost four out of seven games. And everybody was saying, well, it's, it's over with, and they, they've lost, they've missed their window. But what happened and what people didn't realize, Bob Sanders was a great player for a safety man who made a big difference in our defense. And he only played four games that year. He'd play a game and then he'd miss three or four weeks. Then he'd come back and play. And we knew we were going to have him healthy for the playoffs. And he came back for the first game against Kansas City. They had Larry Johnson, who led the league in rushing. And we stopped Larry Johnson. And then the next week, Bob was able to play again. And he was able to play every game in the playoffs, and that was a huge difference for us. And uh, once we got rolling in the playoffs, it was just the feeling that, hey, it's, it's our time. Wow, wow, wow. Well, speaking of time being of the essence, you look at this year's uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2020, and it's a really special centennial class. And I pray that we get through this so we can – it, it, it really honored the heroes of the game and preserve their history, promote their values, and celebrate their excellence. Um, with that being said, two guys jump out to me. There's more than two, but with Edrin James and your best friend, Donnie Shell, how excited are you for them to be inducted into the hall? I, I am so fired up. Uh, Edrin was a tremendous player for us, uh, played two years and had maybe two of the best years a, a running back could have, led the league in rushing, caught the ball out of the backfield, was just phenomenal, and then got hurt, went through a tough knee surgery, came back and had eight or ten excellent years. But I think he's one of the best backs of all time. And to, for him to get announced in Miami, where he had so much success in college, that was so fitting, really happy for him. And then uh, Donnie Shell was just uh, my mentor, uh, taught me how to play the game, helped me grow as a person, and then I got to coach him for five years. And he, I mean, you're talking about statistics and Super Bowl rings and interceptions and tackles and all the things that you need. 
I think he got lost in our Steeler team because he played the longest. And so when he was eligible, we had already had, I think, nine guys in the hall and people <laughs> saying, do we want to put another Steeler in there? And so I think maybe he got overlooked. But uh, I've talked to him a couple of times. He's so excited and so well-deserved, really, really fired up for this, this summer to come and we get those guys inducted. And you look at the two coaches, Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cowher. And I know throughout your travels, you battled against those two coaches in some form or fashion. Not only how excited you for them and happy for them, but what made these coaches so special? Well, I'll start with Bill, because he and I actually worked together. We were on the same staff three years in Kansas City for Marty Schottenheimer. We spent a lot of time in the meeting room together. And Bill, a tremendous coach, very knowledgeable, passionate, uh, cared about his players, and just a, a great person. So I'm, I'm really happy for him. And then Jimmy Johnson, you know, coming from college, rebuilding the Cowboys, uh, taking them to Super Bowls. Uh, I think it's well-deserved for both of those guys. You feel badly for Tom Flores and Don Coriel, some other coaches who uh, are up, but they'll, they'll get in. Uh, these two guys, uh, very well-deserved, and, and I'm, I'm really happy for them. Coach, you look at the way you, you, you received the knock, but you look at the way Mr. Baker, our CEO president, came in <laughs> and delivered their knock. Could you imagine being on Sunday Night Football with your cast and you having Mr. Baker come on set and surprise you? No, the, the, the knock, you know, it's a, a thrill, but you're kind of – you're there, and that, that's the reason you're there. So right. you're kind of expecting it. You're hoping to get it. But those guys, they're just doing their normal job, and they're broadcasting their game. And to have that happen, I, I can't even imagine that. And I, I got to see both of those happen as I was watching TV, and I, I just could imagine the thrill for, for Jimmy and Bill. Coach, I didn't tell my wife what was going on, and I just turned it on, and she was like, why are we watching these pregame? Like, why are we watching all this? We just watched the game. I was like, no, I just really want you to watch it. And she sat there, and she was just sobbing. like, And it just really showed, like, you know, I, yes, it's our team. This is our brand. And it just showed how huge it is and how emotional it is. And it kind of puts that exclamation point on your career, if you will. It, it really does. And, and for a coach, uh, it is the exclamation point. And I, I just, I know what those guys were feeling. Uh, I ended up, I had Bill's number, so I shot him a text right away, congratulations. And uh, it was just, it was awesome. It really was. And coach, that one last play I want to talk to you about, because I know you being a former defensive guy, and I know this year at enshrinement, Pittsburgh Steeler Nation is going to paint the town black and yellow. But Troy Palomalu, how did you game scheme for this guy here? Yeah, Troy was a guy that you – most of the time you're looking at offense and saying, okay, we've got a game plan. We've got to stop Barry Sanders or we've got to stop Jerry Rice. But Troy was a defensive player that you had to game plan for. How do we block him? When is he blitzing? Uh, you know, quarterback's got to be on the look. Out for him. We've got to have a guy on the block. Him. Uh, you had to have a plan for him because he was so disruptive and uh, he's just a great player. 
Well, Coach, before I let you go, and I appreciate so much of your time, and guys, thank you for joining in. And I know we've had a little bit of buffering issues with our website, but you still can listen and hear these beautiful gems that Coach is giving us. But when you won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 44, yes, you were the first African-American head coach to win. And yes, you battled against your best friend, one of your best friends, Lovey Smith, who was another African-American. But, you know, that was a big thing that was said, oh, the first two African-American men. But in your post-press conference, you said, yes, we're African-American men, but it was two Christian brothers actually coaching against each other. And, and me and my brother, we both won. Like, why was that so important that you put that message out there? Because it touched me. Well, thank you. And it was special for me. Uh, when I came into the NFL, there were only 10 African-American assistant coaches in the entire league. And so representing those guys and being the first and realizing now that we're, we're in the 200s uh, and not just 10 or 12, we've made a lot of progress. But to be the first two uh, was special. 40 Super Bowls before us, and, uh, never an African-American head coach. Uh, and to know that it was a guy off of my staff uh, as well, it was just, it was incredible. But I also knew that Lovey and I had a, a bond even stronger than that, and that was in Christ, that we coached that way. We were going to show respect to our players. Uh, we we're going to do things a certain way and show the world that you could win and still be committed to, to Christ uh, and be effective and win at the highest level. Um, that was very important to me. And uh, it's something that I, I wanted to get across, and I'm glad Jim Nance gave me a chance to say it. Well, Coach, thank you so much for joining us here on the mission. I love your office. I had to, I had to make that because I've been seeing all the memorabilia, so I'm trying to pay attention to my questions and yeah. my notes. But then I'm just looking through, man. Guys, thank you for yeah. just bringing us into your house, Coach. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of Buck stuff, a lot of Colt stuff, and uh, a lot, some Hall of Fame stuff, too. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Coach Tony Thudgy, thank you so much, Coach. We appreciate you, man. Thank you, Jameer. Great to be on with you. Thank you, sir.